Welcome to the exciting new episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich, joined, as always, on tape from Hollywood by my co-host, compatriot, partner in crime, Jeff Jensen. I, I'm on tape for you? Yes, yes. This is it's, it's one of those kind of Stephen Moffat Doctor Who situations where you actually recorded yours, and I'm reading it in the past to save our future. Boy, that was a reference that really didn't land. Jeff, I'm excited. It's, it's been a while since we've done this. We've been on vacation. Uh, I, of course, vacationed to uh, the uh, liquor store down the block while you were, took a trip to Neptune. What's, what's, what's going on, Jeff? This is, we're, we're in the kind of dog days of summer right now. How are you, how are you feeling lately? Uh, I'm I'm actually there right now. That's where I record most of these podcasts. Uh, as as a matter of fact, I'm 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 waving to my bartender Joey Jojo right now. What a, what a horrible name for a bartender. Uh, sorry. That's really that's I, I'm concerned we, we we might need to have an intervention before this podcast is over. But let's not talk about your alcoholism right now. Let's talk about something more important, which is: Are, are you still enjoying the Big Brother? I am enjoying Big Brother, Jeff, and I. Th- this is I. I always enjoy talking about uh, talking about the show with you, especially because this season, I, I find that I'm watching it in. I almost like I'm watching two different shows right now, and you know we we addressed this a little bit in one of our earlier podcasts. This is, of course, the season of Big Brother that has foregrounded a lot of uh, almost two real major problems in. In American society, first and foremost, there are awful, virulent racists in the house this summer. I, I kind of find this season it's it split in two for me because, on one hand, uh, as far as the gameplay goes, this show is fundamentally a game show. The gameplay has been pretty uninteresting the last month. I sort of feel like we're seeing one gigantic group just slowly pick people off, and I, I find myself hoping that as we kind of go into the back half of the season now, obviously that big group needs to start descending into infighting. I I keep hoping, like, with each new week, it'll be like, this is the season when Amanda will strike, or this is the week when Amanda will strike at Helen, or this is the week when Aaron will, like, really and truly backstab one of the two people that she's kind of very closely allied to now. That that seems to not be happening. Last night's episode was one of the most frustrating hours of television where you had Andy, this person who has spent all summer kind of playing the best friend card. He seems like, it's one of those things where he seems like someone who outside of the house, I'd love to hang out with him, but as far as TV goes, he's pretty boring. He had all of the possible power you could have inside of the Big Brother house. He was the head of household. He won the power of veto. Everyone was kind of coming at him saying it's time for a big move, and he made the absolute least big move possible. So, so that's been frustrating. At the same time, and I'd be intrigued to see to hear what you think about this, since you pointed this out a little bit in uh, your review of this season. There's another side to Big Brother this year where because of the frankly kind of toxic personalities who sort of started off toxic and haven't really changed, I I, I find there's more quote-unquote reality in this reality show than I'm used to. And I, I find that to be interesting TV viewing, even as I, I'm sort of feeling sorry for everyone who has to deal with them. So I, complicated thoughts on the show, Jeff, as are all of my thoughts about everything. Where do you kind of stand on, on where this season has gone, though? Well, three things. I think you called it. Um, 
quite accurately, especially last night's episode. So we are recording this podcast on Thursday. So we are speaking of the Wednesday night episode, which was a frustrating hour hour of television, but it might say something, I think, about the quality of the season that for me, it was the tr- the first truly uncompelling hour of the season for, for all the reasons that you cited, uh, from Andy just sort of not making any moves to... To, for me to be, for, from to, uh, to to the fact that it felt like the first episode this season where I really didn't know what you know it was the first episode this season where the outcome seemed pretty inevitable from yes. the beginning. Yes. Um. So there wasn't just a, a, a lot of drama. So you know, yeah, like, and and I and I'm worried now to be honest with you. Like it was like, oh yes, this is actually what a typical episode of Big Brother is like. Um, we've been spoiled by, to some degree, the, 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 the charged reality that you, that you spoke of, uh, that storyline this season, but also the rather sort of manipulative, contrived, yet utterly effective device that the MVP thing has been, like the, the, this wonderful monkey wrench that has just made every week an adventure where you kind of really didn't know what was really going to go down by the time you got to Thursday. You know, in past seasons, you know, that kind of unpredictability, I mean, that, that hasn't been a hallmark. You know, you'd be lucky if you got a couple episodes of like that a, a month, you know, and you hung on to those. Everything else would oftentimes kind of play out in sort of uh, inevitable, sort of inevitable, you know, dramatic courses. Um so last night's episode, it just kind of felt like, yeah, like, oh, this is this is usually how Big Brother goes, actually. Yeah. And, um, and, and and maybe we now have a month of that to look forward to. Still, I'm very engaged. Um, I think that the whole racism thing, honestly, has kind of died down for me. Well, clearly, we're, we're not seeing a lot of it. I wouldn't be too surprised if the House guests are, especially the more offending members. You know, either the producers are just not putting it on screen, maybe they've caught on to the fact that whether they feel they're really being racist or not, that's probably how they're being betrayed by the show. Yes. Maybe they're, they're dialing it down. But I think the big thing that subverted that whole storyline and kind of made me go, well, whatever, is the fact that when the when the sort of the victimized house guests had a chance to sort of like take control and make a statement and you know purge those offending members from their sort of like you know society there they didn't decided to play the game and they 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 they, they chose to keep keep their enemies close and just get rid of you know people that they perceived as threats to the game really um, when they had that opportunity. So, you know, that was kind of, you know, we were all looking forward, I was at least, the catharsis of seeing Helen and Candace take charge and, like, you know, boot out, you know, Arian Aaron and, uh, and, and, and get rid of those people. But, but they didn't. They're playing the game. Um, and so, you know, that is what it is. Yeah. That said, I, I still think the trauma has produced an extremely poignant, great moments. I mean, it's a very well cast season, for better or worse. Um, as and um, and I mean, I think that the whole thing last week with Judd pre- pleading for his 
life. I mean, just like a, a, a wounded animal just begging to be saved. Like, it was so sad. It was so pathetic. It was so tragic. And, and Helen, Helen kind of took the, the, the reins from every, anyone else in the house in a way as sort of like being the real villain of the season right now, which, which pains me in a way. I, I actually like Helen. Well, oh, so oh, well, well and, and to your point, it's funny, Ed, you know, as we're kind of complaining about Wednesday night's episode, I felt as if this past Sunday's episode that you're describing where, you know, in this, in this funny kind of Big Brother way, we flashed back to the live episode last week and saw everything that kind of happened around it. I thought that was one of the more compelling hours of the season, where you just kind of see how, how in the context of the live eviction episode, where it just moves so rapidly, Helen, you know, proving yet again that I, I think she's by far the most compelling player this season, just swooped right in and immediately turned everyone against this guy who, I, I love the fact that they all kind of thought that he had this devious side to him that was not in evidence whatsoever, you know? It, it sort of just seemed yeah. like like the more he played up his sort of honest confusion about everything, the more everyone was like, oh, like it must be him, of course, he was the MVP all along. I thought that was just, it was so interesting. And even, you know, the fact that Helen manage sort of make that happen while not actually being in power that, that she kind of almost seemed to kind of work a Jedi mind trick on Aaron and on everyone else I just I found that really really interesting I I, I, I wish that I wish I had the sense that like the players left in the game could do more moves like that because I sort of feel as if we're at the point now where we have a lot of players who are very good at the sort of almost kind of like like background politicking of the show. But there's I, I'm not sure there's anyone right now who is, you know, to choose an example that everyone always refers to, you know, there's no one in there who's Dan, who's going to sort of make a really big, vocal, visceral move. And and, and that's kind of why I, I, I sense that there's a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of kind of annoyance with this season that it's a lot of kind of low simmering stuff and not enough you know big crazy Rachel Riley style uh, d d you know gameplay but uh, right, right. I think it, it speaks to how much paranoia that was cultivated in the house through that whole MVP thing yep, yep. That, I mean it, it, like it's, it's 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 the red scare yes so it's like like, the, you know, they completely convinced themselves that Judd was evil, and we all knew he wasn't. And, um, you know, did America toss that guy a, a place in the house? Like, you know, through, <laughs> through, um, I don't know. Like, you know, but it was, it, it, was, it was fascinating, and it was sad, and it was tragic to see, but, you know, that, that was a good moment. So it'll be... It'll be interesting to see, or not, if you will. Interesting because it might not be interesting um, how the rest of the year plays out that um, there is no more MVP and these people just have to sort of, um, you know, they're just ruling out purely playing play the game. And to that end, you know, like the one thing that exonerates Helen, the one, you know, snippet of dialogue that I overheard her say as she sort of talked up Aaron's move was, Yes, they they wrongly thought that Judd was the MVP, but you got the sense that um, re regardless if they were right or wrong about the whole matter, you, you got the sense of what was animating Helen's sort of desire to eliminate who she thought the MVP was mm -hmm. because they all thought that the MVP thing was such a radical 
cultural disturbance to the game. I remember her, she said that it's it's now all an even playing field now or something like that. So you got the sense that they were deeply troubled by the presence of this thing in this game and by sort of like you know being told it would no longer be a factor in the game and getting rid of the guy who allegedly benefited the most from it. In her opinion, it was like, you know, she wasn't doing anything evil per se as much as she was like just like cleaning the decks. Like, yes, yes, you know, like like we need game, to you know? we need to remove uh, this this variable. Like whether he is or he isn't, we need to just sort of cut that limb off completely. Now, I, I completely agree. I I, I kind of like your your red scare analogy because a lot of. The, the last month of this season, you know, kind of after they got rid of the kind of, uh, you know, evil hottie coalition that was sort of dominating the house early on and, and then sort of, you know, quickly disintegrated. The last month has felt a lot to me, almost kind of like, I don't know, like the first half hour from an invasion of the body snatchers, where it just seems like everyone in the house keeps on agreeing on who the new target is. And it's just kind of, it's, it, it's slowly moving its way down to, you know, less and less people being in there. It, <laughs> I, th- I think I, I, I think you're very right about that paranoid feeling. Re- uh, really quickly, Jeff, because you know we do have more to get on to besides Big Brother. Who who do you think right now? Who's your 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 person? You think is going to win the whole thing? If 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 you were a betting man, who would it? Uh, who who gets the Jensen stamp of approval at this point? Wow, I mean, I I, I think that's tough. Um... That's why I, I, ask, I, I ask only the tough questions, Jeff. You know, um, uh, before last night, I would really say that, that, that Helen was going was gonna, to um, manage the whole thing to the end. Um, um, you know, I, I think that McCray is just wily enough to sort of like manage to to, to, to ride this wild uh, Amanda train um, all the way to the end and probably get it over Amanda if she should if that if that alliance should get to the end too. You know, it's interesting to me how Alyssa has gone from the most polarizing figure in the t- in the house in the early days. And, 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 and the one that held so much power because she's benefited from the MVP thing so much in the early days. And now, like, she's practically a non-character on this show. Barely even there, yeah. Which, which means, I mean, which is sort of, like, bad for us from an entertainment point of view, but it just makes me wonder, then, if she's, if she's poised to sort of, like, hey, no one keep it, their eyes on me. I'm going to sneak right into the yep. end here, you know, and... Uh, um, you know, uh, and, and, but, you know, my favorite player, I think still remains Helen, yep. you know, like, um, I don't know if she's going to win. I think that, I think that there are enough people now suspicious of her. And I think that she, she just meddled too much, uh, especially in last night's episode. I think she put a target on herself. I don't know if she's going to make it, but I like her game. I I, I agree. I think that uh, this is a situation where whoever wins HOH tonight, that's going to be really... I I think this is the decisive point that's going to decide which of the kind of two main power players is going to make it to the end game. Like, I think if if Helen or Alyssa wins tonight, then I think Amanda is is in trouble. If Amanda or or, or one of her affiliates wins tonight, then I think Helen's in trouble. So it'll be exciting. But I'll I'll, I'll be honest with with you, Jeff. My kind 
kind of pick for right now. Sort of, sort of a dark horse, but just with each passing week, I think it becomes more likely. I think I think Aaron might win this, and here's yeah. why. Here's why. I I think that uh, one way or another, Helen is is going out soon. I think it's going to come down to the the three a.m. alliance, which is a name that I, which, which which is a name that that I actually like quite a bit. And I think that Aaron, in her incredibly devious way, is going to get in Amanda's ear and say, "Listen, th- there's no way either of us beats McCray. You know, we've we you and I have made a lot of enemies. McCray has not. He needs to get out." And I think Amanda will go along with it because I think she thinks. Aaron is still more toxic than she is. And just with each passing week, I'm kind of like, boy, you know, it's been a long time since Aaron was everybody's enemy, and Amanda is just, make, is just making enemies right and left. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think it might happen, and I, I think that would be the single most ruinous thing to ever happen in Big Brother, that Aaron <laughs> wins it. But uh, I, I, I think you sketched a scenario where that totally is going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's that. Th- that's all part of my ongoing Big Brother fan fiction, which is currently uh, <laughs> hovering around the uh, fifty thousand word mark. Jeff, we're here today uh, to not just talk about Big Brother. The fall movie preview issue of Entertainment Weekly is out in stands right now, so it's time for us to do one of our extremely exciting seasonal Entertainment Geekly movie previews. Uh, y- you may remember Jeff uh, for the summer preview that we did. We put together a highly accurate system of describing our excitement for these movies, utilizing the Star Trek franchise as a bizarre rating system. So, Jeff, I, as I so often do when I when I'm musing about uh, our podcast, I, I you know, We're at it, the liquor store, yes, at, at, the liquor at, store. at the at the liquor store, it takes me several weeks to put to put all these together. the The pre production cycle on these podcasts uh, puts puts uh, puts blockbusters to shame. I came up with a system. Uh, Jeff, uh, as you know, The Hunger Games Catching Fire is coming out uh, pretty soon. We'll get to that later. Stars Jennifer Lawrence, your best friend, my best friend, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, She, of course... Uh, is also appearing in the X-Men franchise, uh, and mostly because, uh, for me, the, the single most surprising film of the summer turned out to be The Wolverine, which I actually liked quite a bit. Uh, I came up with a rating system based on the X-Men franchise, which is currently hovering at the six-movie mark. So, Jeff, uh, you know, let's just say X2, I think, is probably uh, the movies that we're excited about. Uh, X3 movies we are a little bit less excited about. X-Men Origins Wolverine, a movie we are not of the least excited about. And th- there are various derivations therein. Uh, does, that, does that make sense to you, Jeff? Are, have, you, have, you, have you heard of the X-Men movie franchise? <laughs> uh, yes, I, 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 am, I, am, I am familiar with the X-Men movie franchise. So if, I am recall, if, if I'm following the scale correctly so that our, our listeners know, you know, just, just to clarify for everyone here, if, if we're, you know, like, if we're super excited for, you know, uh, say, you know, Spike Jones's her, that would get an X2 rating because that is, that is, that's the best X-Men movie and therefore our, you know, signifier for, for, for most exciting. If, 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 if there's a movie that we are not excited about at all whatsoever, and I'm sh- I, I, nothing really leaps to mind yet. We would give that a, 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 a Wolverine Origins. Yes, or, or, yes. Or, or would that be the Brett Ratner 
abomination. We would we would give that an X Men Origins Wolverine. I, I, to me, X Three is a little bit more like we're, we're cautiously optimistic, but but we might be disappointed. Whereas so X Men Origins Abomination is 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 is, is, is the middle of the pack. Okay. Yes, 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 exactly. And 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 you know you can also throw in X Men First Class if if you want, uh, or you know the Wolverine would be the movie we're not excited about at all, but that we think might actually wind up surprising us. Jeff, there's there's so many variables here that I'm sure uh, it's going to be not confusing at all. Uh, let's let's get this started. Let's let's start in September. September sixth sees the release of a movie that uh, there was no conceivable way anyone thought this was ever going to happen. Jeff, I'm talking, of course, about Riddick, the third film in the Riddick franchise, uh, sequel to The Chronicles of Riddick, which came out nine years ago to not very much excitement by anyone, threequel to Pitch Black, which came out, I believe, 13 years ago now and is still one of my kind of favorite sort of culty sci-fi movies. Jeff, this is, of course, a movie about Vin Diesel on a planet punching things and people. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on this on this film, how would you how would you rank your excitement if you could? Uh, very simple here. Um, didn't see the first one. Didn't see the second one. <laughs> uh, if uh, Vin Diesel is a um, is, is an actor that I neither like nor dislike, has never been a reason for me to see a movie. So unlike you, I, I know that this is where you and I are, are are differ. So when I say that my excitement for this this third one um, is on the lower rung of our exquisitely precisely balanced X Men scale, um, um, what is our second to last uh, like rating? Second second to last, I think would be uh, X three. So you're 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 going you're going to the last stand here. Is that? I'm going X three because I, like you know I don't want to give it like you know I don't want to put on the last rung because it makes it sound like some kind of value judgment against the movie. I I it, it, I'm it's just as a measure of pure anticipation, I am not really anticipating it at all. That's fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind here, Jeff, because I'm gonna say that uh, this movie is X Men First Class for me. <laughs> in, in, in that I am sort of intrigued by it just because it actually doesn't look that great, but it looks very strange. I always kind of remember with with First Class, it's not a movie that I, I love, but I find that I can watch it very frequently. And there's something about Riddick in, in the previews and in the footage that they screened at Comic-Con. It just has a very hyper-stylized look that could get boring like two minutes in, or could be kind of compelling, and that's that's kind of why I'm 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 first class level excited about this. So like a little little bit above X three, but not quite X two. Uh, and also I you know I I have to admit the the more that Vin Diesel becomes this kind of hype, the, the more that he becomes a hyper stylized version of Vin Diesel, the more fascinated I I, I become with him. So I'm okay. Well. I agree with you, and um, I think that um, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if, if one year from now, especially around Guardians of the Galaxy time, I am I am I'm drinking uh, I, I'm coming around to uh, I was going to say drink the Vin Diesel Kool Aid. That sounds kind of gross. <laughs> uh, drinking uh, drinking I, the Diesel Kool Aid. <laughs> 
probably come around and in. But yes, I, I got to admit, I think he's a very, right now, he's actually been a very engaging celebrity presence um, as he's sort of on, um, you know, maybe we're all just catching on to the joke that Vin Diesel has always been sort of like saying about himself, but... But yeah, I'm 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 warming up to him, but it won't be with this movie. Won't be with this movie. Let's move right along. The next week, September thirteenth, Insidious colon Chapter Two, the sequel to Insidious that they're sort of pretending they were planning the whole time. I can't believe that's actually true. But I gotta say, director James Wan is on a bit of a hot streak right now. I like the first Insidious. I really enjoyed The Conjuring. He's making Fast Seven, which you might have heard. I'm kind of a fan of that. Franchise. I am. I am. Re- I. I think I'm kind of an X three with this though. Like I. I, I kind of have a sense. It's not going to be as good as the first movie, as the first Insidious. But I, I like everyone involved. It's it's all, always good seeing Patrick Wilson. For some reason, he's one of my kind of favorite people. There's something just a little bit off about him, even though he's a, a, an incredibly handsome human being. So I'm I'm an I'm an X three on this. What did, what do you think about what do you think about Insidious Chapter Two, Jeff? Don't care. Don't care. <laughs> That gets that gets the X Men Origins Wolverine seal of disapproval. <laughs> yeah, like you know, like uh, Insidious. You know, I, 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 as a rule, with these kind, with these sequels to these kinds of movies, you know, uh, yes, Insidious was a was was a was was a scary, competent piece of work, and I, I do like this director. Um, like the fact that they're, but you know, like. One was enough, and I feel like this, I'm just getting genre snowblind here with all of these, like you know, you know, creepy kid horror movies. Uh, this is a creepy kid horror movie, right? Or is this the one with the demons? See, they all blur together. I don't know. I don't care. This is this is this is actually a it's it's a it's it's a very unique creepy Patrick Wilson movie. This is a a rapidly expanding oh, oh, genre of horror. F- <laughs> well, then move it up to X three then. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I, no, 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 Jeff, please. This is this is this is all just measuring excitement. Dismiss all you want to, grumpy Uncle yeah, Jensen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, sight unseen. Insidious uh, in, in has. I have no excitement for, well, for Now, now, let me ask you about another September release uh, coming to the end of of what is historically not a very good month for uh, movies of this ilk. I, I here's a movie, Jeff, that I had completely discounted for literally the, 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 from the moment that I heard it it uh, it was being made until Comic Con uh, when. In you know, I, I was in the middle of one of those Hall H panels where they're showing off six or seven different movies from a studio, and the first three are always just kind of like, oh god, like Seventh Son and all these things that I, I care less about. They came out and showed some footage from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too, and I, I gotta say, Jeff, maybe I was just dizzy from the lack of sleep uh, that so often occurs at Comic Con. I kind of found myself. I, I I didn't even see the first Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I'm I'm. I'm I'm a newcomer to the cloudy mythology, if you will, and I, I kind of found myself. I there's it. It looks very candy colored, and the whole setup is there's all these creatures that are made out of food. I I, I don't know. There's there's something about it that made me a little bit intrigued. Is it, did you see the first one? Was this uh, did did the Jensen kids have any exposure to this? What's what's your thoughts about uh, the 
the cloudy mythology, which is something that I just love saying out loud. Right. You know, do, I mean, uh, do yourself a favor, and after you watch every other movie that you need to watch, uh, go watch Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, because <laughs> it really is a, a, a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh I enjoyed it very much. I know that my kids enjoyed it very much. You know, this is a this is a a, a rich but rather slight book, a children's book, and 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 they found a way to really turn it into a fun, uh, you know, feature length film with a lot of invention and a lot of style. I was really pleasantly surprised, and um, uh, you know, on the X Men scale. Um, this is probably, you know, uh, the second or third one on our tier, which I'm still obviously trying to wrap my mind around there. Well, this, well, this one, uh, uh, Jeff, let me, let me, let me wrap your mind up in this for a second here. Uh, th- this, I am in some ways kind of a cheap date when it comes to, uh, animated, uh, comedies, animated kids' comedies, uh, in that I, I don't see many of them, um, but, uh, I, I find that now that there is so this kind of, uh, I, I, I feel bad saying this, this kind of DreamWorks-y, super functional animated kids movie style where everything kind of looks the same. It all, it all kind of looks like the style sort of stopped revolving somewhere between Monsters, Inc. and uh, Toy Story 2. If, if, if any of these movies just look interesting, like look visually interesting, look a little bit different, look like they might show me something new, then that's kind of good enough for me. So for me, this gets uh, X-Men 1, which is not by any means a good movie, but it was sort of a different kind of movie for when it came out. Sort of had a had its own unique style. So this this is an X one for me. Have I already confused you entirely with this rating system? <laughs> sounds good. Like I would say, yes, I, I, that sounds fair to me. Uh, let's 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 move along, Jeff, to a movie that I think uh, I'm guessing we're both X2 level on. We're both excited about Gravity, uh, the newest film from Alfonso Cuarón, the, the space horror terror film uh, starring Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, opens on October 4th. Uh, I, I got to take a sneak peek at this at Comic Con. The couple of minutes of footage they showed, I thought looked looked pretty stellar. What are your kind of thoughts on on this uh, astronaut film? Oh, totally right there. X2 uh, level um, here for me, eagerly anticipated. You know, Alfonso Cuaron, one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, you know, it's um, like, I, I don't think there's really much more that we could we could say, especially since we, we don't know a ton about it other than what's been teased. And it, this falls in this category of movie, we've talked about it before on the podcast, where there are some movies where I don't mind knowing a lot about. This is a movie I don't really want to know anything about. I'm, I'm trusting that what Caron, who is, I think, one of these guys that is devoted to an idea of pure cinema that you hear all the fancy pants directors talk about. But this is, a, I mean, like, you know, this is a movie that is clearly, you have to be in a theater, you have to experience the spectacle, the ride, the sensational quality of it all. Um, I, I'm, I'm trusting that he has something special here, and I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. Well, and and don't you think too, Jeff? I I, I remember thinking this, uh, you know, when I when uh, you know after showing some of the footage, uh, you know, Alfonso Cuarón kind of came out and was just talking about the technology that went into making this movie. You know, we're so used to 
these movies that, that, that take a long time to make. I mean, like, I sort of feel like every blockbuster movie now, it seems like, you know, it goes into pre-production two or three years earlier, and then, you know, it's shooting for a while, and there's all this kind of digital effects that get laid over everything. This is a movie that I just, it seems like they literally had to invent new technolo- new technology to make it. You know, there's there's the, the robots, there's this crazy room that they kind of shot it in, and it just, it seems to me like this is one of those movies that... You know, even somebody who, you know, like someone like, say, my parents who who don't often care that much about the behind the scenes stuff, they're going to kind of come out of this movie and be like, I want to know how that was made because it just seems crazy. And, and there's something really exciting about that to me, this sense that this could really be one of those kind of boundary pushing movies as far as film technology and film style and, and, and all of that stuff. And hey, always, always great to see old Sandy Bullock, right? <laughs> Just to, just, just to bring that down for a second. I, I, I felt like I was getting kind of highfalutin for, for, for a second there. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. And, 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 and just evoking the name Sandy Bullock is always a good corrective for that. <laughs> Our friend Sandy. I, I, this, is, this is an X2 for both of us. I, I, it might honestly be the movie that I'm most excited about this fall uh, and, and definitely intrigued, intrigued to finally see that in theaters. Slightly less intriguing, uh, moving right along to October 11th. Uh, Machete Kills, the sequel to the movie that was that started off life as a parody trailer, uh, is coming out in theaters. I, I, you know, Jeff, we may have discussed this before. I always want to like Robert Rodriguez, and so I find that I'm always excited about stuff he's working on. But I, it's been a while since I've really felt that the kind of fun. Uh, I find that a lot of his movies are more fun in theory than they actually than they actually are when I'm experiencing them, which is a nice way of saying this is an X Men Origins Wolverine for me. <laughs> what what do you, what are your thoughts on on this one? You know, I, I agree with you about Robert. I I, I really like him. Um, I think uh, I've always enjoyed uh, writing about him and his filmmaking operation. Um, and I, there is sort of this unpretentious sort of like fun to all of his movies that I really appreciate. That said, he's, he's so prodigious with this movie, his movies, I think, of, of, and, and the result of, of varying quality now that like, I just really kind of look to the critics or some of the more kind of like more sophisticated, like, you know, geek critics out there to tell me whether or not this is high quality Rodriguez. And mm-hmm. if it is, I'll seek it out. And if it isn't, I'll just like you know let it go. You know. Yeah, totally. You know, I I kind of have this this new theory about Rodriguez, and and I totally agree with you. I I think he's so interesting, and I I find that just his energy level is something that you know it, it, that puts a lot of other filmmakers to shame. It just seems like he he's he's really invigorated by the by working on movies, just you know so so consistently at a at a prodigious rate. I kind of feel like. He almost needs a, a different sort of setup for how to make movies, because in some ways he he's almost to me kind of like uh, you know this guy who um, not to get highfalutin again, but you know Borges as a writer is somebody who spent his entire career just writing these like you know nine page stories, and all of those stories were you know very often just sort of like these you know made up summaries and recreations of you know made up stories that you know never were. And that's kind of, I, I wish there was some way for Rodriguez to do that, because I still think his 
best work ever was working alongside of Tarantino in Grindhouse, where he made what I still think is his best sort of hour of movie, uh, Planet Terror, w- w- which I liked a lot, which sort of had all the kind of crazy wackiness and, and you know, kind of verve of, of, of his movies, but it was in like a nice, small, like barely over an hour running time. And there's something about that that I, I, I wonder if there's some model that he could adopt where, where that kind of becomes his thing. Because something about that kind of energy when it has to be a feature, it just feels like it, it never quite connects for, for me for some reason. Um, right. So, so more, more like Borges is, is what I'm saying, which is career advice that nobody will ever take. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, now, the, moving into... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, think, you know, I think there's a movie that he's, uh, a property that he's been attached to, and I don't know what the update on it is, but, but Heavy Metal, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, which is... Is, is, is not a story per se, but like you know, you know, a famous magazine, famous magazine brand, but it's an anthology. You know, like it would be kind of cool to see a single director basically produce an anthology film like that, yep. where he's working in a variety of different styles in, in, in short, high impact, like you know, sci-fi fantasy stories. Um, I, th- you know, I think he could, I think he could really hold our attention for 90 minutes if, if he sort of like basically moved to sort of like a series of heavy metal anthology movies that were written, directed, and produced all by, you know, by himself. I, 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 I totally agree. Well, and and you know, because just just looking at the formats he's worked in, you know, he's done great western, he's done great horror, he's done it, it, like it feels like. It feels like that's the kind of thing that would be perfect for him, you know. Even to the sense that you know, one of the one of the anthology films could be you know thirty minutes long, and the next one could be five minutes long, you know, like you know, kind of get get away from the sort of locked in nature of feature films. I think yeah, that would be. It's it's funny that's that's one of those projects that as someone who kind of lives most of my day on the internet, you always kind of see it sort of like you know bubble up in in the frontier, some little piece of news about it, and then it seems to disappear. But hopefully that'll happen. I'm. I'm more excited about about that than I am about Sin City too. But let's get to a, a, a big film, Jeff. That I I feel like it's it's already controversial for all the kind of most annoying reasons, and and I I, I hope that uh, the film can sort of triumph over a lot of the kind of weird things that have that have been happening around it. Ender's Game uh, by Orson Scott Card, uh, a film that has been sort of in pre-production for probably as long as I've been alive, honestly, uh, finally coming to theaters, directed by Gavin Hood, starring a boy from Hugo and Harrison Ford. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know, I, I don't know your thoughts on, on the book, Jeff. This is one of the books that I read, I, th- I think in junior high or something like that, probably when I was still even a little bit too young to read it. And I, I, I really, really liked it. I, I think I read it a couple of times when, when I was a kid. What's your kind of history with the end Verse, if you have one. Well, this, this is where I really kind of show how impoverished a geek that I am, or, you know, uh, but I, I, I've never read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I, I never really got into a lot of contemporary sci-fi when I was a kid, and contemporary, I mean, like, just generally within my, you know, age range of living. Um, you know, when I got into sci-fi lit, I, I, I just immediately went to the past and kind of stayed there, you know, like H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, um, you know, like the early pulp guys, Edgar Rice Burroughs. That's kind of where I ultimately, that's what ultimately captured my imagination. And then, um, 
before really than just sort of you know giving up books and then <laughs> getting into movies, right? <laughs> so like I like you know it really wasn't until I was older that I kind of like started peeking into sort of like the more contemporary sci-fi, like the early you know Gibson and Neil Stephenson and like um, and, 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 and 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 something that's more contemporary. But Orson Scott Card never really kind of landed in any of my you know interest in. The, the summary of it from these contemporary eyes, I just, it, didn't, it didn't sound all that compelling. I don't know about this one for me. Like, I'm not super excited about it. Um, I'm swayed enough by people that I care about and like about, uh, like, like uh, more than, than, than movies in general to sort of stay away from this film in, 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 in small protest. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, um, you know, um, I not not hugely on your radar. Yeah, you know, for me, and again, you know, this is uh, this 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 is a preview. We're talking about this stuff. We we have not seen it. A lot of what we're going off of is sort of like the the sort of like PR blast around it, which you know, which which is is not necessarily great. To me, what's strange is how. It feels to me like they're kind of selling it as this hyper-intense, slam-bang, action-heavy thing that, that could potentially become a franchise. And for, for me, there's just some dissonance because, you know, I, I read Ender's Game, and I, I think that it's interesting kind of hearing you describe how you kind of skipped over it because it really is this interesting sort of book that I'm not sure totally exists anymore, which is it, it was sort of written for young adults, I believe if, if 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 that was not the intention, that's certainly what it was. By the time I came to it, it was sort of one of the uh, eighth grade freshman year of high school books that that everyone read. But it's still kind of old school science fiction in that it very much is a book of ideas uh, in in a way that I I, I think a lot of YA today. Uh, is, is isn't so much, and, and maybe that's unfair. But you know, to me, it's it's the difference between Ender's Game and something along the lines of of Twilight. Like Ender's Game is very kind of in your face at times, in a way that as a kid is very appealing, since you aren't so good with subtlety. It's very in your face about a lot of the kind of topics that it brings up. But it's a very cerebral book, and the the, the sequels that followed it are very cerebral to, to, to the point of being just kind of bizarre. And and so I I I find that like. I, I, I'm just not quite sure how to take this sort of interpretation of the movie. Uh, so, so for, for me, I'm, I, for me, this is sort of an, an X three. It's something that I know for a fact I'm going to see just because I'm really intrigued about how they are going to adapt it. Also excited that Harrison Ford really seems to be showing up for this movie, which I, I that, that's always something that I, I find very appealing. It sort of seems like he's on this kick now where he's interested in doing kind of different sorts of roles. So I'm cautiously uh, optimistic about it. Just to muddy the waters, Jeff, I do have to point out it's directed by Gavin Hood, who directed Dun 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 X Men Origins Wolverine. So, do well, there you go. Do, like, do, <laughs> even more reason to be not too excited about it. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I do want to modulate uh, uh, what I kind of said a little bit earlier. I don't think that I would ever stay away from this film in, in protest, although I'm re- I am sensitive to the issues around it. I mean, when I say something like that, then I'm suddenly, you know, like, uh, I'm a hypocrite. 
because I give my money to lots of uh, properties that have been made into movies, properties that were originally created by people with, with horrible opinions about a lot of things, yeah. um, including all of those early pulp guys and sci-fi guys, you yep, know, yep. who were who were racists, who believed in eugenics, who um, who had some really dubious awful things that we would say no to you yeah know, now. well and um, well, so, and, well and, know. and and you know just not kind of like beat around the bush you know what we're sort of talking about here is the fact that orson scott card in, in the last few years became a, a really sort of uh um just just a very vocal uh anti-gay marriage anti-gay everything sort of person and what makes it what makes it interesting to me it, it, it's funny and I, this is such a topic for a different podcast it's interesting always when sci-fi authors who very often are people who sort of you know they're they, they conjure up these worlds that seem to like tackle issues in a way that is very uh, c- complex and very complicated you know and then and then it seems like so many of them sort of as they get older and older just b- take a bizarre turn and become very simplified and and very uh um just, just, just seem just much less complicated and and outright terrible. And to me, the funny thing is that like Ender's Game, people have pointed out there are intriguing sort of homoerotic subtexts to the book that y- you would not imagine that person then turning around and becoming as vocal a sort of uh, you know uh, gay marriage detractor as Orson Scott Card was. So I, I don't know. I, I, I sort of feel like. This, this is all kind of a, a rambly way of saying I also find myself feeling the same way as you where I'm kind of like, God, like, you know, if I go see this movie, is this sort of, you know, somehow supporting this thing? But weirdly, like, like the book itself didn't seem to. <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of a bizarre state of affairs. Yeah. Let's, uh, Jeff, <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. Let's let's move on to something uh, a little bit more fun, Jeff. Uh, Thor: The Dark World, uh, the, the newest iteration of, of the Marvel Studios uh, franchise, Marvel Studios mega franchise, comes out in, in November. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, you kind of uh, can't speak to it. Uh, you know, due to the fact that uh, you have a you have a tie-in with Disney. You actually are uh, the new face of Mickey Mouse, I believe, if mm, I recall correctly. Exactly, yes. If yeah, I if I read the announcement. But I, I wanted to ask Jeff, you know, uh, you, you said before on this show, not so big on fantasy, not so big on uh, guys with beards, swords, that whole thing. That, that genre just seems to keep getting bigger and bigger. You know, Game of Thrones season three, it was sort of, are, are, you, are you coming around to guys with beards and swords yet, Jeff? Has that, has that hit you? Has that hit your hit close to home heart-wise? I still pretty. I'm still pretty bigoted and uh, prejudicial uh, and biased against guys with with beards and swords. But I mean, I will say that I did, and, and so that's what was so surprising about Thor for me, which is um, like just the, the first one. I I enjoyed greatly and was surprised by it. So mm-hmm. it's just um, yeah. So yeah, this. That's, 
yeah, this this for me, you know, I I, I sort of feel like, uh, you know, again, I was I I, I, I feel so, so lucky to have gone to the Marvel Studios thing at Comic Con, and you know, getting a look at their upcoming slate was really interesting. This is not the one I'm most excited about. That would that would probably be a Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Um, but uh, yeah, boy, that, that that Hemsworth. Weirdly, Hemsworth. I, I find I, I I enjoy him so much. I, I even kind of want to see like a Huntsman sequel. No, no Snow White, just Huntsman. Let's let's foc- <laughs> let's let, let's focus in more on this 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 Huntsman character that we were all so excited about. Um, let's let's move along to something that's a little bit less beardy, if you will. Uh, <laughs> you you already mentioned this movie earlier. Uh, the trailer for it just hit the internet uh, last week, and uh, if you're like me, you've already watched it and cried several times. Uh, this is Spike Jones's new movie, Her where Joaquin Phoenix plays a character sort of in the in the near future, although basically the present day, who uh, winds up with a c- computer, an AI, voiced by Scarlett Johansson, uh, and uh, seems to kind of maybe fall in love with, with her. Uh, it, it, very interesting, very much kind of in line with Spike Jonze's career of intriguing sort of eccentric films. W- w- what are your thoughts on this one, uh, Jeff? Oh, I, I can't wait, especially a- after seeing that trailer. It immediately vaults up into gravity territory for me. Spike Jones is like one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, he, he, he rarely goes wrong for me. Um, Adaptation is one of my um, favorite films of the of, 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 of the of the first decade of, two, of the, the new century. What do we call that? The odds. <laughs> I, I mean. I, adaptation like was just like cemented for me that he's a genius where the wild things are i think is one of the most underappreciated films of recent years um i i I was i loved that movie and and her just looks really imaginative it sounds like in any other filmmaker's hands this movie goes wrong it's bad what was that Al Pacino movie where he falls for the virtual reality girl? Simone! Oh, Simone! Simone. Yes, of so, course. So, and, 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 you know, that had some interesting ideas in it, but I don't think anyone thought that that was a, a, a great success. You know? <laughs> although, although I, I will say, Jeff, Simone comes up in conversations very frequently, maybe just because it's it sort of like, like those ideas were kind of interesting and in some respects did anticipate a lot of stuff that happened. But that's probably a movie that I have had conversations about. I've never seen it, and I've never met anyone who's seen it. So that's, right, uh, that's sure. it's, 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 it's an interesting sort of afterlife for it. But but, uh, but, I, but I think that, like, Spike is going to complete – I mean, if, if there's someone who can uh, uh, pull it off, it's it, it, it Spike. It, it, it also kind of reminds me a little bit of how much I fell for um, Lars and the Real Girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that kind of idea where, uh, you know, Ryan Gosling played a guy who falls in love with a blow-up doll. Um, uh, but um, I, I just think that the combination of Spike and, and, and Joaquin Phoenix – um, 
I think they're going to do. I'm anticipating really interesting and surprisingly credible drama from this. Absolutely. Well, and and there's so much that intrigues me. I I find that just as someone who loves Joaquin Phoenix, and I've I've enjoyed his kind of recent run of playing interesting characters, crazy characters, including the role of Joaquin Phoenix in that insane sort of pseudo documentary. I'm intrigued to see him come back around now and play this character who certainly nothing else seems like the exact opposite of the sort of human roach person he played in uh, The Master. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I mean, Amy Adams is in this, and I think she's somebody who see, seems incapable of, of, of making like like a, a, a dull decision as far as the movies that she's starred in lately. So I think this is, this is X2 all the way. I'm, I'm sure we're going to be dissecting this movie like crazy when it comes out. Uh, it, it comes out the same week as a different kind of, of genre film, uh, which is to say one that's probably going to make significantly more money. Hunger Games 2, Catching Fire, Electric Boogaloo, hits theaters uh, November 22nd. Uh, this is a franchise that we've talked about an awful lot. I, uh, I, I, I'm intrigued by the footage that they've shown of this movie. It, it looks a little bit different. It looks like they're kind of moving away from the sort of born supremacy, shaky grayness of the first movie, which I'm excited about. Curiously, this is the book that uh, I liked the least, which I know a, a lot of people uh, actually prefer this book. I'm, I, I, I love the first book, and I, I really enjoy Mockingjay. So I'm, I, I'm kind of going in here with no expectation. This, this for me is, is a neutral X3, like not super excited, but, but also kind of think that it'll be interesting enough. So that's, I, I you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm pure vanilla on this one. Where, where, where do you stand on Catching Fire, Jeff? As someone who comes to the Hunger Games franchise, having never uh, read all of the books all the way through, I, I, I think I've said on the podcast before I only got halfway through the first one, um, <laughs> and who, I, but but who was both like found the the first movies in uh, compelling, troubling, um, and good enough in all the right ways, you know. Um, like I'm, I, I'm looking forward to the second one. I am sure I will see it. I know my, you know, as we've talked about in the past on this podcast, I know my kids want to see it. Um, you know, it's a, you know, especially when you're kind of like pitting it up against her. My, my natural inclination is to sort of like, oh, like, no, let's let's let's, let's demote it compared to the wonderful Spike Jones movie we all want to see. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, I can't deny that. I mean, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't like excite me on that sort of movie love passion the way that like um, uh, like you know Spike Jones her does like um, so I can't give it like first order X two but it's like you know second or third tier I'm looking forward to it I hope that it can keep up the momentum and storytelling of the of the movie experience that I had in the first one absolutely well and and I just think too you know we're, we're coming off of a summer where it, it sort of felt like there were a lot of blockbusters that felt a little bit samey and to me just whenever I see the trailer for Catching Fire I'm kind of reminded of the fact that you know something that's very difficult this franchise feels like it kind of stands apart in an interesting way I sort of think that the world it's created 
certainly the the, the actors I, I think are not the sorts of characters that you necessarily see all the time at the multiplex. And for me, that that sort of eccentricity of it, that that uniqueness, is something that I really support. Plus, you know, again, I hate to keep on like you know bringing it back to this, but like you know, sometimes an actor just really. Uh, it's, it's very rarely now I, I find myself just trusting actors and where Jennifer Lawrence is at now I think that it's hard for her to be uninteresting so I'm excited about that uh, another uh, another another franchise sequel, which I I imagine we we may have slightly more complicated views on. December thirteenth sees the release of Hobbit's Part Two of maybe three, although who knows? The Hobbit: The Desolation of of is it of Smog is how I've always pronounced the dragon's name, although I believe Peter Jackson pronounces it Smaug, which I love. Uh, you know. Jeff, boy, I I honestly don't know what I think about this movie. I mean, we've I, I sort of feel like we, we've talked a lot about our reactions to uh, to the first Hobbit movie, to the whole existence of this sort of curious prequel trilogy mega franchise. Uh, you know, I I, 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 I in some ways I, I'm excited just because Peter Jackson is such an interesting action filmmaker, but I. I I, I I sort of feel very very neutral on this one also. Like I, I know I'm going to see it, and if nothing else, I, I'm excited about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's role as the dragon. Um, but I'm 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 certainly less excited about this one than uh, I think this time last year I, I was about the first Hobbit. Where do you where are you at right now with the Hobbit? First of all, did you hear that huge loud sound on my end? No. What was it? Oh, okay. But that, that, I believe that was Smaug flying overhead. I am in an interesting location. I know we joke a lot about that, but I, I am in an interesting top secret location for, for reals, guys. I'm, I'm stuck in a car in a parking lot where not far from me, they fly experimental jet planes. And that was rather loud. Um, anyway. Um, be, be, be very careful how you answer how, <laughs> what you say about The Hobbit, Jeff. <laughs> Um, you know, I kind of feel something similar to you. Um, this time around with Peter Jackson tackling uh, Tolkien, like, it doesn't fill me as, you know, with as much excitement as the Lord of the Rings franchise in general. It's weird, um, and, and, and I, I don't know why. I, I, you know, maybe it's because The Hobbit isn't necessarily... I like The Hobbit enough, uh... Uh, but you know, beard, sword, guys, that thing. You know, like, <laughs> the, um, the famous troll, Jensen distaste. Troll, you know, like, <laughs> heroes, that, heroes that traverse rocky terrain and bare big feet. Again, also not something I'm really excited about in general. Um, uh, so look, I but but you know, I like The Hobbit enough. I kind of agree with the general consensus on that movie. Slow start picks up looking forward to the next one yes yes Um, there's almost a part of me that wants though to sort of like wait until they're all complete and then strangely enough uh you know whether i can rent my own theater or just watch it on a big uh, screen at home watch watch them all over a period of a a few nights sure sure 
Um, I don't know how much I really love the adaptation strategy of taking this slight book and making three huge epic movies out of them. Um, They're just, I'm still wrapping my mind around that and trying to like that idea. I don't know why, I don't know if I should really let it affect me like that, but, um, but I am, um, but, but still enough to like, and yes, Cumberbatch, um, uh, you know, bringing to life Smaug is definitely something I'm very interested in. Yeah, totally. I mean, for me, actually, you know, just, just uh, something you were just saying sort of like uh, unlocked in me this this idea. I, I I think that if I had to rate this, this for me would rate the Wolverine, which is to say, right now I'm kind of just not that excited. But but, but you know nor am I actively unexcited. And I kind of suspect this might surprise me just because, you know, again, it's it's the middle one in the series and thinking back on Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers was kind of the fastest paced, uh, you know, it, it was the one that didn't need to set anything up and also didn't need to wrap anything up. And and, and again, just thinking back on uh, The Hobbit, which, you know, of course, God, I, I, I read so many times uh, when I was a kid, watched the cartoon so many times. The inner Interaction of, uh, of of the dragon Smog and Bilbo, I recall being really, really kind of interesting and and, and really different from uh, sort of anything else that happens in uh, you know the, the sort of greater Tolkien uh, Middle Earth saga. So I you know if, if if that's kind of the centerpiece of this in the same way that you know kind of Gollum was the centerpiece of Two Towers, then uh, it could be good. So yeah, let's. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's funny, you articulate it in a way that kind of maybe kind of speaks also to why I'm kind of like like lukewarm in terms of my excitement about it, which is um, I like The Two Towers, too. That was a very entertaining movie. But, you know, you know, when it comes to these sort of middle movies, like you want The Empire Strikes Back. Yep. You want The Dark Knight. You want this sort of this movie that takes everything up to some sort of next level of like of, of urgency and um, intelligence and um, intensity and like you know and just you know vibrancy and like the two towers. What I remember about that movie was, it, I mean, it, it well to its amazing credit, it felt like a full movie. You mm-hmm. know, like um, and, and, and 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 again, really to its credit, I mean, it he. He just didn't give you a second chapter. It, it, it was an, a, an epic adventure on the road to Mount Doom, but there was something very rounded by it, and then it kind of leaves you with this sort of like, you know, creepy off kilter cliffhanger involving Gollum, you know? And it, it was well done. But, you know, I remember the ending of that movie where, you know, if, if, if Empire Strikes Back or The Dark Knight. Um, left you in this place of like, oh my gosh, like, what is going to happen next? How are they going to get out of this problem? You know, like, mm-hmm. it kind of leaves you with, with, with that kind of feeling. The Two Towers is like, you know, okay, like, yeah. I, 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 I just got taken on a huge adventure. It gave me some kind of closure. It's not over yet. Ooh, what's Gollum going to do? But it, it, it's sort of that muted, creepy ending that, it, that, that just sort of like sends you out of the movie theater going like, okay. Like yeah. next year. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in hindsight, I, I I wonder sometimes, you know, if, if the two towers, in its own weird way, was not the most influential of those movies, just because if you actually think about 
uh, how much it moves the dial on the greater narrative, it kind of doesn't, really. I mean, like, he sort of took one interesting part of the books, uh, which was, you know, of, of course, like the Battle of Helm's Deep and uh, the characters in the kingdom that fight at Helm's Deep who all kind of are, are you know, long-haired, blonde people that look like beached Vikings. Uh, you know, and, and, and he really made that feel like this sort of interesting episode unto itself. And I, I, I was kind of wonder you know when I look back on it I I, I I sort of feel like you know there could have been like five more two towersy movies where it's like and now we're gonna go to this place and have another sort of fun episode of sort of rich movie feeling stuff that then at the end is kind of like but but you know Mount Doom is still two miles you know two miles further along and I, I sort of feel like I, I feel like I see a lot of those kinds of movies now where they feel really fun two, two and a half hour long bites that then at the end it's kind of like, well, like gotta gotta go see the next one. <laughs> right. Just right, sort of, right. Sort of, sort of different. But even so, I I, I think I think we've 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 talked our way into being a little bit more excited about this. Um let's <laughs> let's yeah, all right. Let's wrap it up uh on Christmas Day. Christmas, favorite day of the year, probably, give or take. Uh all kinds of movies coming out that day. There's uh, there's 47 Ronin, uh, the movie about 47 Ronin and Keanu Reeves fighting a dragon or something like that. I could care less, Jeff. Did, did, is this even on, on your radar, this, this movie? Yep, uh, won't be seeing that on Christmas Day. Won't be seeing that one. X-Men Origins Wolverine, give it the stamp. Uh, there's also, I, 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 I want to talk about this. It's a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, but I'm just sort of intrigued by it. There's... There's the new Jack Ryan movie. This 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 curiously long-lived franchise about a Cold War secret agent with a pretty boring name that is somehow just just it, it it's lasted for so long. I I I'm sort of just intrigued by the fact that, you know, Chris Pine, Kenneth Branagh, Kevin Costner, a lot of kind of interesting names attached to this. I don't know if anything can ever compare to Alec Baldwin in Hunt for Red October personally, but uh I can this this might totally be uh, a a see it with the family on Christmas Day movie when you know we're we're all we're all kind of arguing about which movie we want to see. This could become the kind of neutral choice that wins out in the end. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm intrigued by this. I've, I I think that you know I'm intrigued to see what Kenneth Branagh is going to do with it as a director. Um, I also believe he's playing the villain. I'm not. He sure. is. He is. He's. He's. And and I I think he's playing a Russian villain, which to me conjures up like you know the hope like you know this could be another like you know Sean Connery style Russian villain like you know let's but let's I think, see, I think let's. Kenneth Branagh is good for that. And 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 the other thing about I, I am I guess more intrigued by this. You know what? It, it feels to me like the the, the Jeremy Renner Bourne movie, which seems like this could be like a really compelling programmer made by very likable, competent people. You know, mm -hmm. and um, and I'm 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 really open to it. Um, I think the Chris Pine story like is, is is interesting from the point of view of like I don't know what you know. I like him a lot. I think he's a he's a very compelling actor. I'm kind of rooting for him. Um, but you know, he's in an interesting zone now. I mean, like, is there going to be another Star Trek movie now that J.J. Abrams has moved on to Star Wars? And um, you know, like, this is a guy. He's kind of an actor that it seems that 
that, that, that could benefit to, to a, a great degree in his career of having that kind of franchise that yep. he returns to the kind of, are you still there? Yes. Yes, totally. Yes. Uh, that, 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 that franchise that kind of like sustains his sort of like profile and the culture as he sort of branches out and does other things. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 I like this kind of genre of movie enough that um, uh, I, I hope it does well. And, and, but again, I would probably say that so it, it's on my radar, but it's going to be up to the reviews. If the reviews yeah. tell me it's good, I will definitely see it. Yeah, again, like this sort of feels like uh, this is this is an X Men first class for me in that uh, I, I suspect it's actually going to be. I suspect that in the end it'll feel a little bit like a sort of fairly standard Mission Impossible spy movie, but I think it's also going to have a really unique flair to it. You know, one thing that I I really enjoy the work of Kenneth Branagh, director. As as a as a high schooler, I always kind of liked his his Shakespeare movies. Uh, you know, Hen- Henry V, and even even his his four hour Hamlet is honestly one of my favorite movies. And just the way that he sort of sets it in this crazy, you know, kind of czarist Russia, you know, setting, and that you know somehow makes you really love the dialogue, but also kind of really mo- you know keeps it moving. I think is just great, and I, I suspect that. I, I suspect this one's going to feel kind of unique. And, and to your Chris Pine point, I, I remember thinking this during uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, because there's there's a couple scenes where he's kind of like fighting somebody, probably uh, you know fighting Benedict Cumberbatch or whatever. I, I, he, he, for me, kind of has this Harrison Ford thing where I find that it, he's very likable when he gets punched. Which is a really specific. <laughs> it's a specific thing to say, but it's like like just the way that he takes a punch on screen sort of looks kind of realistic and almost kind of goofy. But it, it sort of humanizes him in a way that I, I I can't think of a lot of other action guys have that. So there, there's something about that that I, I I feel like we haven't yet seen the full Chris Pine, if you will. So yeah, excited about that. Let's wrap this up with with a movie that uh, I think. Um, Looks looks totally bananas. Don't really know what to expect from it, but I, I, I'm intrigued by it. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, Ben Stiller's sort of uh, gigantic expansion of a short story that I believe I read in freshman year of high school, and if memory serves, was about three pages long. Uh, this is the, the the story of the movie finds Ben Stiller playing a, uh, a a Life magazine sort of research clerk in the 50s or 60s who sort of has a lot of imagination adventures and then may go off on a real adventure. Uh, the trailer, this is another trailer that I, I've watched several times and I, I think it looks very interesting. Total change of pace for Ben Stiller. I mean, his his sort of directorial work, which has always been really interesting. You know, it, it's been, you know, I, I think it was like uh, Zoolander and Tropic Thunder and he may have also done Cable Guy. This is certainly looks a lot different uh, than that. But, but, but what do you think about Walter Mitty, Jeff? Um, you know, I I'm I'm a Ben Stiller fan, and you know this movie has been sort of like winding its way through Hollywood development for I don't know for how long now, right? And so, I mean, yeah, decades basically. I I think I remember a time when like when Jim Carrey was attached to it, like you know, kind of pick pick your big comedy name of the last couple uh, couple of decades, and I I, I I think they've been set to play Walter Mitty at some point. Right to, to the point there where now I'm it has enough for for me. I don't expect like the general audience to know this, 
but because it's had this sort of like long tortured development history, it makes me ask questions like, well, why? Like, why has this been a hard movie to make? Is it, it's, is it, is it, is it a movie that like is like too ambitious um, for anyone's good here? Um, um, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. I, I don't really have any sort of like strong relationship to the material, mm-hmm. but, um, but I am intrigued by the themes of it all. And, um, and I, I, I do like Ben still. I know that not everyone uh, does, but I, but I do like him. I'm all, um, and so I, I, I don't know if I'll be seeing it opening day. This again, like it could be like, really clever and inventive and a great sort of showcase for him, or it could be kind of a mess. Yeah. Well, that's, well, and and, and I think I'll sort of be taking my cues from the reviews on this one. Well, and, 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 you know, to your point, I I think that's why this really intrigues me uh, is the sense that, as strange as this might say, this this feels like a real kind of auteurist, a uh, very personal, uh, very ambitious movie for, for Ben Stiller. And, uh, you know, I think he's someone who is really interesting in that his career has a lot of different paths to it. You know, you sort of have the the blockbuster comedy star side of him, which does a lot of movies like Night at the Museum. You have the kind of, uh, you, you know, the, the guy who appears in movies like Greenberg. You have the fact that, you know, it was it was not that, it was not so long ago that he was the kind of cult comedian in the 90s who did the Ben Stiller show, which is still kind of one of the kind of interesting, very kind of hyper-influential hidden gems of uh, that era. I, I guess it's not really a hidden gem if, if, if all the douchebags like me keep on referring to it, but certainly, uh, certainly, uh, an, an interesting sort of uh, series of things leading up to this. So yeah, I I, I have the sense that you know again for, you know this is this is a Christmas movie. It's the kind of thing where like I think it's going to be me trying to convince my family to go and see it, and when they ask why, I'll say, well, it could be a total mess, but that'll be really interesting. So probably not going to see it on Christmas Day, but it's it's, it's one that I'm definitely definitely intrigued by. I I, I think for me for, for for that reason, this might actually be an X two. I'm really excited to see it, even even though. I I know it, it may not be perfect. Um, I think that for me, like when it comes to my family, um, Walter Mitty is going to be the movie that they're, they're asking me to go see, whereas I'm asking them, can we go see her for the third time? <laughs> can we? I don't think we've seen it enough yet. Jeff, we should all just be watching Grudge Match on Christmas Day, which is the long-awaited Rocky Raging Bull mashup that we've all been asking for, hopefully, for the last 30 years. Um, I know you have. (laughs) I think... I think that about wraps us up, Jeff. I'm, this is there's a lot of lot of films coming out. Uh, this a lot of sure a lot of films coming out in this film season. A lot of a lot of interesting films coming out that I'm uh, I'm excited about. Uh, so something something to focus on when this season of Big Brother ends and uh, my my heart is 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 is, is sort of is sort of empty for for a few weeks. There'll be something to pay attention to. Uh, any any final thoughts on the fall movie season, Jeff Jensen? You know, no, um, other than, you know, I am struck by now that we've sort of walked through it and like how, um, you know, uh, the movies that I'm most looking forward to are the movies that, that, um, you know, are, are more of the, uh, audacious original, like kind of like, uh, attempts at, you know, something new, like, you know, gravity, you know, mm-hmm. her, 
Mm -hmm. These are not big franchise movies. Although there are a couple franchise movies that we've identified that we are excited about seeing, like Thor and and Catching Fire. But, you know, the the ones I find myself rooting for are her and Gravity. And not only do I hope that they're every bit the uh, the experience I hope they'll be, but but they could get in there in the Oscars, too. I mean, I think that's what... That will definitely be a major storyline on both of those movies this fall. You just wait, Jeff. In a few years, when uh, when the Her franchise is is one of the biggest <laughs> billion dollar grossing franchises in in Hollywood, it, it, it'll be it'll it'll, it'll it'll be a whole different system then. Um, when uh, when I'm when to, I'm trying to think about that. What, what would the sequels to Her be like? The the Her two the Her two and like you know Her two four like. Like um, uh, does this oh, this joke is really failing on me. I was I was I was I was so confused. I, I, here here her her two four is. <laughs> I wanted to ma- I, I wanted to make a joke that somehow that, that they can make a, 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 a sequel to her called Hair two four. Yeah, that just, it just it just kind of collapsed on me. I thought for for some reason when you said that I thought you were talking about like like. A a fourth sequel of Her Two, and I, I just just my 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 head was so so, so Her Two colon four or something like that. Oh, this is. Well, no, I, I guess that would be that's that's what they should call the sixth one. <laughs> Her Two Four. <laughs> oh my goodness. Eighth one, eighth one, because it would be probably more read as a multiple, like so two times four. No, 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 Jeff, Jeff, it would be, it would be, it'd be exponential. It's, it's, it's her to to the fourth power is is how there it's written. There we go. Personally, yeah. personally, I'm excited about her origins, Wolverine, and that about wraps up uh, this edition of Entertainment Geekly. Uh, excited to be dissecting some of these movies as they come out. As always, I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff Jensen. Thanks for listening.